open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host at Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Hi, and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast focused on Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, I've got a really special guest. Here's Trace Mayer. But first, let me introduce the sponsors of the podcast. So firstly, Kraken, one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges, renowned for their focus on security and acting in a principled manner in the space. They're one of the longest standing Bitcoin exchanges. They're consistently rated the best. They have high trading volume and low fees with no minimum or hidden fees. Kraken have 24-7 support, and on the institutional and business solution side, they're providing best-in-class accounting, reconciliation, and reporting services for cryptocurrency hedge funds, asset managers, and fund administrators. Kraken have an OTC desk for large block trades. They offer five fit currencies and also offer margin and futures trading. To learn more and sign up, go to kraken.com. There's a link in the show notes. Next, Unchained Capital. Have you listened to my recent interview with Dhruv Bansal from Unchained? We talk about some of the Unchained products, such as the two of three keys multi-signature vault product, and also the Bitcoin collateralized loan. So with the vault, you can use Trezor or Ledger. Cold card is coming soon, and you can split up your keys rather than creating a single point of failure risk. Also, with the Bitcoin collateralized loan, you can get USD without selling your Bitcoins. While that learns outstanding, it's stored in a dedicated multi-signature address that you can see on the blockchain under collaborative custody. To get in touch with the guys, go to unchained-capital.com. There's a link in the show notes. So the episode today is with Trace Mayer. I assume most of my listeners know very well who he is, but just for those who are newbies to the space, Trace Mayer is a highly influential investor, writer, speaker, and podcaster in the Bitcoin world. He's been around Bitcoin since the early days, and more importantly, he wasn't just early, he was right on basically every call he made. So his perspective is highly valuable, and I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to him on a range of topics in this interview. Trace, I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, I know you're, you're very influential in the space in the way that many of us think about it as well. I mean, you're responsible for popularizing Many different ideas, such as you know the seven network effects of Bitcoin, hodlers of last resort. Uh, so it's a great pleasure to welcome you to the show. Oh, thanks so much! And uh, and also December twenty third, twenty fifteen, I talked about the impact of stock to flow ratios on the price of Bitcoin. So I've been talking about that for a long time too, and I'm really glad to see Plan B's work in that area. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I think you've got a really great framework for thinking about Bitcoin because obviously you're known as a very early investor in Bitcoin. You invested in some of these early Bitcoin businesses and projects such as uh, Armory and Kraken and BitPay. Can you give us some insight into how you came to Bitcoin so early? 
Yeah, so I had studied money, uh, always been interested in it. Uh, and when I say studied it, it was at the graduate level. And then as I pulled on those threads, I found myself uh, in Rothbard and Mises and whatnot. So I had the philosophical foundation, the understanding of the economics uh, when I ran into Bitcoin, in addition to having plenty of experience with uh, things like eGold and PGP encryption and uh you know, Napster and then Kazan, LimeWire and uh, BitTorrent, you know, these uh, peer-to-peer networks that came on the scene that were censorship resistant. So, you know, having been in the, the digital or the virtual currency space for a couple decades, um, uh, you know, it, it, I could see that it played a definitely solved a problem that the world needed solved. Uh, and then also my understanding with GATA, the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, and just the interference that the institution of the state has done in terms of censoring interest rates. So, you know, all of that kind of combined together so that when I came across Bitcoin, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be huge. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I think the other thing about it is not just, it's not just that you came to Bitcoin early. There were others who came to Bitcoin early, but then they sold out. What was it that made you have such a level of conviction about Bitcoin? Well, I just thought about it. Um, you know, I think I think an, we often get distracted by various voices uh, and we lose our ability to kind of think and do our own economic calculation. And because I had this uh, background, all of these skills that I developed, I'd been doing all this research. You know, Saifedean likes to talk about the concept of time preference, you know, a lot of people watch TV. Uh, when I left uh, to go to college, at, you know, at 16, I never had a TV in my house since I went to college. Like, I don't watch TV. And when you don't watch TV, you have a lot more free time. You can, you know, you can exercise, you can uh, exercise your body, and you can exercise your mind. And so, and when we're talking about time preference, you know, the greatest investment you're going to make is going to be in yourself. And that education is a key to opportunity. And you never know when the all of this knowledge that you can accumulate is actually going to become applicable. And so, you know, that's luck is when opportunity uh, makes each preparation, right? And so, you know, I'd been honing in on little, little threads, little voices here and there all throughout my life. And so, you know, when, when the time was right, like I was able to capitalize on it, you know, would I have been able to do that? if I'd been sitting around like watching TV a lot more, probably not, you know, probably not. And so, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, the, the early Bitcoiners just got lucky. And I suppose some of them did perhaps, but you know, time, time preference begins to sting with opportunity cost. Cause think about how much money some of these people spend on Silk Road, right? Like they were, they were listening to wrong voices and they, they allocated their capital and they lost a ton of, uh, they lost a lot of, of the resources that their future self would have had they had the discipline and the time preference and, and all of those things. So I think that's a very important component is, you know, it, it didn't just get lucky. You know, I developed that human capital and we're seeing it even today. I mean, Bitcoin's been around for a decade. I mean, I've got friends that, that, have liked Bitcoin and bought it, you know, since it was triple digits and they're still storing it on Coinbase. Like, why aren't they developing the human capital? Like, what's the deal? I don't understand. So, you know, like, whatever, you're going to get wrecked uh, one of these days if you're doing that. 
It's a great point you make about building our human capital. And I'm wondering, do you have any suggestions on good resources and how do you find out what's a good topic to go and research? What's a good book to read? What's a good podcast to listen to? How do you think about finding the good resources? Well, I mean, you got to start with what you're passionate about and what you love. And so, because that's what's going to power you through and give you that desire uh, to to do the reading and do the studying and, and stuff like that, you know, so you, so you have to find something that you enjoy, uh, something that you're passionate about. Uh, even better, if you can uh, mix that with something that's going to be helpful for other people, uh, because, you know, that's where we really find joy if you're just doing it for yourself, uh, you know, that's going to get old pretty soon. Uh, so, you know, that's that's where I'd start, like figure out like where your emotions are at. And then you start figuring out uh, the wisest way to go about uh, acquiring that knowledge. And so for me, I like to go to like the best, you know, like I, I don't want to just listen to anybody. I want to listen to the best. And so, you know, it doesn't take very long. You can sniff around in any particular area and hopefully you're able to find the best uh, within a day or two. And then once you've found the best, you got to start reading all that stuff, you know, which is a lot of stuff because the best are often very prolific uh, in their writings. Uh, so, you know, I mean, we're talking about the polymaths, like the Da Vinci's and the Newton's, the Gutas and the Swedenborg's, the the Jefferson's, the, you know, the, these are the best in their in their different areas. And in some cases, they were masters of all the areas, you know, people like Newton and Da Vinci. So, you know, I think that's important. People like Tesla, um, you know, it's important to to hone in on the best, but it takes a lot of it, it takes a lot of grit to be able to do that, uh, a lot of discipline. And, uh, you know, you got to find balance in your life. But at the same time, like, you know, people sitting around like watching TV and just like, what are you spending so much time on this stuff for? You know, another one is interruptions. Uh, people, I think, greatly underestimate the impact that interruptions have on your ability to accumulate human capital. Because uh, if you think about these people who were the best, and the type of world that they lived in, uh, they weren't getting interrupted very often, right? They could like sit down and they could focus their mind and like read the book all the way through. They weren't getting text messages and phone calls and emails, and they just weren't distracted in so many different ways. Uh, and I think that's, you know, I think a lot of people today, we have a challenge. Uh, a lot of people just have the attention span of a goldfish. Like they really have no discipline of their mind. And as a result, they can't like sit and think about something. Uh, and then they exacerbate it by the stuff that they eat or, or drink, you know, they, they're drinking coffee. I don't, I don't drink any coffee. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know why people need coffee. Like I, I, I sleep like four and a half, five hours a night. I got tons of energy all the time. I never get sick. Like, you know, why do people need coffee? I mean, if you eat right, I don't think you need any coffee. And then, and then stuff like coffee or, or tea, uh, you know, this stuff tends to exacerbate feelings of like anxiousness and having to do stuff. You, you see people who drink this and they're always like tapping their foot or, you know, they're nervously twitching or, or all of this stuff. And, and then there's, you know, other stuff like alcohol that's even like more damaging to your ability to concentrate and sleep well and stuff like that. So, so, you know, I think, I think that that's a, it's a large combination of all of this stuff. You have to get your body in the right 
condition. You got to get your mind in the right condition. You got to get your emotions in the right condition. And if you're out of order, like you're, you're going to get disciplined. It's probably going to be through a form of debt. You know, you're going to get yourself in debt and then you're going to get disciplined externally uh, by the creditor uh, or, you know, however else our modern society tends to discipline people who can't discipline themselves. And so, you know, it's much better, in my opinion, to just discipline yourself and do the work like, you know, than have somebody kind of force you into economic circumstances where you're now the servant to the lender. Right. Excellent. And uh, I'm interested now to talk a little bit around if if you've got any views around jurisdictional competition around the world. So I know you have, uh, you know, you're doing some work with Wyoming, for example. Do you see in terms of Bitcoin and jurisdictions around the world? So let's say jurisdictions that, for example, have no capital gains tax laws or you know, other examples like that. Do you see a potential for competition there? Oh, yeah, there's there's definitely going to be competition here because, you know, we've got this monetary asset that we're able to transfer value over a communications protocol. So it becomes much more uh, portable than gold, for example. And uh, so in whichever nation state adopts the hardest, soundest money or individual for that matter, has a tremendous competitive advantage over somebody who's fighting the economic war with inferior tools. Like it's just the way it is. And, and so, you know, Singapore's been very progressive on this front. Uh, the United States is pretty much middle of the road, uh, but they've got a lot of stuff where we where, where the groundwork is now being laid. You've got the bit license in New York, which I'd stay away from anything New York related. Uh, but then you got Wyoming. I've actually helped craft some of the bills and the banking rules because we're going to be able to create a special purpose depository bank, uh, full fledged bank in Wyoming that's regulated by the banking commissioner, passported into 42 states. Uh, I mean, that's a huge deal. It can custody digital assets. We have property rights on the digital assets. Uh, one of the things I got in was a lien cleansing provision on UCC liens. I mean, that's huge. Like if you buy Bitcoin from somebody, you want to know you have clear title to it, you know, because the legal system doesn't recognize the Bitcoin network any more than the Bitcoin network recognizes the legal system. And you might have a technological fortress, but wouldn't you want a legal fortress also? And so, you know, these Wyoming laws are... Those are laws that a hodler of last resort would write, <laughs> in my opinion, or or get got as close as we could. Um, and then you've got other jurisdictions that are just going the other way. They're banning it. You know, they're trying to ban Bitcoin or like, look at India. You know, you can withdraw one hundred and forty dollars from your savings account. Like, oh boy, this is that's a confidence inspiring. And so, you know, when capital is so much more portable like this and can't be confiscated through inflation, can't be confiscated through uh, traditional means, you know, like ask the Incas about getting their gold confiscated, right? Like they could kill you and take your gold. But like in Bitcoin's case, it's it's more difficult than that. Uh, So, you know, I think that we're definitely going to be seeing jurisdictional arbitrage. Uh, The U.S., Overall, in balance, seems to be the best jurisdiction so far. We've got the CFTC that's uh, started handing out 
swap execution facility, derivatives clearing organization, and designated contract market licenses. We've got Wyoming with the Special Purpose Depository Bank. We have New York with the BIT license. We have trust company charters in various states. We have other model legislation coming up in many of these states. Rhode Island, for example, is working on perfecting security interests. Uh, So, you know, that six network effect of financialization of Bitcoin uh, not only with the puts and calls and the futures, but also with uh, security uh, interests in order to start using it as collateral. You know, all these things are, are instrumental in its path towards world reserve settlement currency, uh, which ultimately is where I see it going uh, as its destiny. You know, and as you alluded to, those seven network effects are in full swing uh, and barely just growing out right now. But like this thing's an un it's got some stoppable momentum to it. Fantastic. And I'm curious as well, with the Wyoming work that you're doing, is there any risk there at the federal level in terms of uh, federal government regulations uh, or impacting on the freedoms that you're trying to work towards with Wyoming? Yeah, so this is a somewhat nuanced point when you're dealing in American law. So under under American law, you've got the federal government, and under Article One, Section Eight, it's got specific areas it's able to uh, legislate in, and then you've got the states. Well, one of the one of the provinces of the states is property rights. So, guess what? One of the first things we did in the Wyoming legislation, we we called these digital assets property. Okay, because the the states, you know, why why? Well, back in the day, it was New York and Virginia and everything. They form the federal government, so the states are sovereign and the federal government is sovereign. And if there's a case or controversy between a state and the federal government, it goes right to the U.S. Supreme Court <laughs> of the of the U.S. Supreme Court. So I mean, like the states are sovereign in this regard, and that's one of the reasons. Like with Wyoming, the first thing we ran out and did was we we said that these digital assets are property. Uh, and defined by state law, uh, you know, and we mapped on a taxonomy onto the UCC in order to do that because uh, Caitlin's brilliant and that's what she does, right? And so, so that's you know, I think that if the federal government did try to get into this, they're going to run into they're going to start running into constitutional challenges. I mean, we put a bunch of different landmines like that into the Wyoming legislation. Property is just the biggest one, I you know, I want to point out. Um, but there are a lot of other smaller, sneakier ones. For example, um, under federal law, a bank holding company, uh, the bank has to be a bank and lend. So a Wyoming special purpose depository bank is prohibited by statute from lending. Therefore, a speedy bank in Wyoming does not count as a bank under the Bank Holding Act, which which really, you know... For investors and stuff out there, I mean, that's a big deal. So, you know, we put different landmines in there and everything, you know, being able to avoid the FDIC since they uh, like to engage in financial repression and banking blockades against things like uh, WikiLeaks. You know, well, guess what? The Speedy Bank can ha- gets a Fed master account. Oh, and like a lot of these exchanges, they need to do stuff internationally, right? Well, guess what? With a Fed master account, you can have dollars and you can have euros. All right. So like, I mean, there's just a lot of really cool, sneaky stuff that we put in 
that, you know, when when a lot of these companies realize what we've done in terms of laying the foundation, because in order for there to be large capital, you've got to have certainty for the investors. And that's what rule of law does. And and so that's what this foundation does is it lays a foundation for, you know, this human action and this cooperation to take place through the, the institution of a corporation. And, and, you know, that's, otherwise you're not going to have the certainty and you're not going to be able to grow or scale in terms of the social scalability and the growth and the size of the companies uh, without it. And so that's what we've really done with the Wyoming legislation is we've been laying this foundation uh, to be able to take Bitcoin to a whole new level in terms of integration or backwards compatibility with the current institutions and structures uh, that humanity have used uh, to form themselves and, and do corporate governance and capital allocation, and all of that stuff. I really like the point you were making around regime uncertainty and doing what you can to allay that uncertainty so that Bitcoin businesses, entrepreneurs, investors can feel more safe as they enter the space. Do you have any views on what jurisdictions around the world, what can people do to outline that and spell that out as well, like not just for Wyoming, but just to outline that, look, if you come out and put these laws that are very anti-Bitcoin, you're basically shooting yourselves in the foot. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just Bitcoin, right? Like, how solid are your property rights in Argentina or Rwanda? Like, when those property rights aren't very solid because there's not very much confidence in the rule of law, then the assets that are in the jurisdictions get discounted relative to a safer jurisdiction. And what Bitcoin does, in my opinion, is it, it enables us to acquire property rights at a much lower cost. Because we're, we're, we're effectively able to acquire protection of our assets or our purchasing power that we store in the Bitcoin just with a private key. And, okay, so we're getting it inflated by new mining rewards, but everybody knows what that is. Uh, so that gets discounted into the present price anyway. So really, you know, when we're looking at what, it, what would the negative interest rate be on storing capital in Bitcoin, it's going to be lower uh, than other assets. Um, because the other assets have counterparty risk, they have now they have negative interest rates in the bank accounts, you know, and I'm not, I mean, it's not really apples and oranges right now, because Bitcoin's just so small, uh, relative to the other ones. But you know, when Bitcoin becomes its own storage tank, right now, it's empty. Uh, but when it's filled up, and then capital is moving between the different storage tanks, and, and I mean, the different types of assets that the world has to store capital in, that's when we're going to see Bitcoin really begin to shine because it's this global monetary unit, can't be inflated, hardest money ever, the new risk-free asset because there's no counterparty risk. And what I mean by that is there's no financial ability to pay. There's no performance risk if you have your own full node and holding your own private keys. I mean, you're really, you're really removing all the risk uh, away and and starting from a first principle and that becomes your risk-free asset and your risk-free rate and then you move out from there and and in order to move out from there yeah you're going to start assessing the regime risk or the uncertainty uh, that you're going to get bailed in for example or that the bank will get bailed out or that you're property is just going to get confiscated. Or maybe it's a piece of real estate in Chicago and your property taxes are going to have to go up in order to pay the the unfunded pension liabilities or, or whatever it is, right? With Bitcoin, like Bitcoin fixes this, like it fixes all of this 
for for people who are trying to perform economic calculation. Uh, it's it's got a specific definition that's enforced by our network uh, and all the full nodes. And you know, once we have that definition, because dollar U.S. dollars they're not defined, euros aren't defined, uh, Australian dollars aren't defined. Like none of these things are defined. They're they're all just ephemeral illusions. Uh, I mean, even under federal law in the U.S., dollars are defined as different things that are unintelligible. For example, one ounce of fine silver is a dollar, and one ounce of fine gold is fifty dollars. But 50 ounces of fine silver is not equal to one ounce of fine gold on the periodic table. That's unintelligible. Like if you tried to build a building and you were performing mental calculations of length with that type of unintelligibility, your your buildings would be falling over. So, I mean, it's not any wonder that the financial system is all falling over because the fundamental unit that's being done uh, used by people to perform economic calculation is defined and unconstitutional. Uh, and yet, you know, we're just all hobbling along because, you know, these while there's no way to avoid the final crack up boom, but we've seemed to find ways to delay it here and there uh, through all of this privatizing of the gains and socializing of the losses. And Bitcoin puts an end to all of that. Like, look at Mt. Gox, you know, look at Quadriga CX, look at look at all these examples throughout Bitcoin history uh, where, you know, people people took the losses, you know, they didn't get bailed out. And, and that's the type of mindset or mentality that the holders of capital on the other side of this gulf are going to have. It's a great point you make about regime risk. And I'm curious now just to ask if you see any existential threats to Bitcoin, perhaps, whether they are a state-sponsored attack or otherwise. Not really. I mean, this thing is a, is a beast. Um, as Mises wrote, ideas can only be overcome by other ideas. And so, you know, what, what could what what could a state-sponsored attack actually do? Like, what are you going to do? Get some get some developers in there and try to compromise the code? I mean, we got, we got hundreds of eyeballs on that code with with pull requests uh, in every new version that's coming out. Plus, you can run a version from years ago, and it's still going to be in consensus. Uh, and you can't force anybody to run run your code. You know, and there with with GUIX, uh, you know, it's making the build process even less trust involved uh, in the build process. You know, however small. Uh, so, I mean, what's a what's a sponsored attack going to be? You're gonna you're gonna have like some rogue developer in there trying to compromise a constant, like they did with uh, with NIST uh, when they compromised one of the constants in a, in a protocol that they then signed off as being secure, and so CISOs relied on it and. Then they all got hacked because they were using a bad cryptographic standard. Like there are just a lot more eyeballs on Bitcoin because there's uh, like, you know, how many billions of dollars at risk, you know, so people are not are not taking any risk in that regard. So, you know, if you are a rogue developer that's trying to cause a stink, I think you've already got yourself ran out of town uh, and. And how do you get back into town? Like when the when the wagons have circled, you got to earn street cred. Well, how do you earn street cred? Well, it's been a decade. Like it's gonna take it's gonna take new people that try to get involved in this a while to earn street cred, and so that's on the developer front. And then you know a lot of uh, a lot of um, different altcoin promoters and stuff. They they really don't like Bitcoin maximalists, whatever that's supposed to mean. 
And it's like, well, okay, well, that's the other realm of of getting street cred. Like, what are you going to be? Some shady fly by night, like altcoin promoter, and or or who are you going to listen to? Like, what are you going to do? Who are you going to listen to? You going to listen to someone like me who's had a consistent voice for pretty much a decade for free for everybody and been right and called in advance like all the bull markets? Or are you going to listen to some fly-by-night shady like altcoin promoter who's just going to pay his $24 million fine to the SEC for doing an unregistered securities offering so that he could he could flip a bunch of bunch of money to Peter Thiel and his other cronies, right? You know, because Peter made like a, over $100 million on EOS. So, you know, you've got to be extremely careful, like what voices you're going to be listening to and why you're listening to them. Uh, and, and getting street cred in Bitcoin, I think, is going to get increasingly more difficult also, because, you know, just like with the developers, you're going to have to get street cred. And how are you going to get street cred? You're going to have to have a consistent voice that's kind of in consensus with everybody else. And don't get me wrong, like, I mean, I've talked about other coins and stuff like that, and I've even you know, interviewed some people on my podcast about them. I think that there's interesting innovations uh, in the altcoins, but like, do I think any of those altcoins are going to pose serious threat to Bitcoin? Like, good luck with that. I mean, we got seven network effects, like show me where they're possibly like taking any territory in any single one of the network effects, let alone all of them at the same time. So, you know, I think, you know, threats to Bitcoin, it's, it's really hard. You know, we, it's not it's not like it was, you know, back when I first started talking about it, where we were a small community of, you know, a very, very small community of, uh, of an, you know, just very few people. I mean, you probably could have like gone and rounded us all up one night, you know, but like we're a lot bigger than that now. Like the community is huge. I think 35 million unique AML KYC accounts. Uh, at the end of 2017, based on one of the Bloomberg articles. I mean, there are tens of millions of people all over the globe like working on this stuff now. Like it's an entire industry and there's a lot of money at stake. Uh, and and the financial incentives and the game theory are just taking, taking root now. Uh, and, and it's laying out kind of how a lot of these early consistent voices have said it would. And so, you know, the threat, the threats to Bitcoin, I think, are are going to be in the realm of ideas more than than anything else really and you know that's that's going to be for each of us to maintain vigilance uh, in that area that's one of the reasons I last year I started proof of keys you know proofofkeys.com because every year we're going to have a global coordinated bank run on the asset that's strictly limited in amount right like we're going to we decapitated Quadriga CX last year. <laughs> no, for real. Like they're they're gone. I I did proof of keys. A week later, he met with his attorney to plan the will. A week after that, he died in India. And then his wife like took his body from the hospital back to the hotel. Like whatever. Uh, but that that bad actor is now out of the industry. They're. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs.
Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.